The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Two men with identities forged in the white-hot fires of the 90s comic book boom, now ready to re-examine the era where heroes became extreme and what magazine gave rise to a market of speculation. If you've got the guts, prepare to enter the world of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. Greetings, geeks, and welcome to episode 71 of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. The podcast where we re-examine the 90s comic book boom through the pages of Wizard Magazine. Still waiting for the Amalgam Universe to return with a mashup of Kazar and Shazam to finally create a character named Kazam that doesn't involve Shaq dressing up as a hip-hop genie. I'm Adam. And joining me tonight is an individual who couldn't name a member of Gen 13 if her life depended on it. That is a true statement. A person who, despite living in a home filled with thousands of comic books, has never dared to open a bag and board to discover the excitement within. I read some Archie. A woman who knows more about Todd Flanders from The Simpsons than she does about Todd McFarlane. Um, yeah, also... Returning to the podcast tonight, after last being heard on our Bad Girls bonus episode, it's my darling wife, Dr. Kristen. How you doing, dear? Oh, well, I'm just living the dream here in the crap cave. (laughs) Now, I gotta ask you, first question, comic books as a concept, yay or nay? That's gonna be a hard no for me, Adam. (laughs) And how do you feel about the concept in general of podcasts? Also, hard no. (laughs) We are off to a great start. True or false, my mother, who is many decades your senior, has listened to more episodes of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, than you. Well, I'm going to confess something right now, Adam. I have listened to zero, yes, zero episodes. (laughs) So you have no idea how this is going to run tonight? You don't know the format? That is correct. (laughs) Last question, Harry Potter the Wizard or Wizard Magazine? Mmm, tough call. No, it's not. Harry Potter. <laughs> okay, geeks, we are in for a real treat. Uh, but before we get into our usual segments, we have to check in once again with the Chicago Comic-Con hype, since it was announced that Wizard had bought the convention last issue. Now, the previous ad for the event was a mere two pages, but that has exploded to five pages in this issue, including a full schedule of workshops for aspiring comic creators, one of which is being taught by Brian Michael Bendis, making this his first mention in Wizard Magazine. Brian Michael Bendis, dear. I don't know who that is. Very big in the 2000s. He's the one who kind of relaunched Spider-Man in this Ultimate Universe, the younger, hipper version of Spider-Man that we have now owes a lot to him. Uh, But why don't we flip through some of these pages here? I'm just curious, as you look at the Comic-Con events, what jumps out at you most if we were going to this convention in 97 what would you want to be seeing uh hey chewbacca's there (laughs) r2d2 i could be down with that okay um oh i guess i've gone too far but there seems to be a man holding a gun to a cat (laughs) that's jimmy palmiotti so he's messed up no that that was a joke he loves his cats 
Okay. We actually already addressed that picture with him on social media a while back, and we've had him on the podcast. Friend of the show, Jimmy Palmiotti. Now, speaking of which, though, I have to say, the guest list in this ad has ballooned to 80 of the hottest comics pros and promises hundreds more at the bottom. But by comparison, in this issue, there's a one-page ad for the San Diego Comic-Con, and it mentions a pitiful 25 guests by name, most of whom are C-level pros and old-timers. So Wizard was really outclassing the San Diego Comic-Con in terms of marquee names in 1997. Do you recognize any of the names on the list? I was just looking. (laughs) Steven T. Seagal? That's not the Steven Seagal you know. (laughs) And, um... No. Yeah, nobody there. None. But to us, these are some of the hottest in the biz, so... Yeah, but maybe, you know, if you had written in a letter asking Wizard who you should be excited about, they would have written back to you, dear. So it's time that we open up Willie Lumpkin's Mailbag. Wizard had a letters section, okay, where they would have their readers write in crazy questions or just general... Like Dear Abby? Sort of. They asked for dating advice a lot of times. Well, (laughs) knowing the demographic that was uh, reading comic books in the 90s, that makes perfect sense. And Wizard is not too complimentary to their own. Let's put it that way. (laughs) But um, starting here... There is somebody who is a little bit critical, let's say, of the type of comedy in Magic Words. And the guy who was uh, answering the letters here was named Jim McLaughlin. And so this is what he says. Dear Wizard, why do you always make fun of or criticize everything and everybody in the comic book world? I would like a real answer for once. My point is that your jokes get old and tired. Sometimes you get me so irritated. I'm not saying to be serious all the time, because some of your jokes make me bust out laughing. I'm not saying I hate magic words. I'm just saying I dislike the way you deal with some of the letters. Rick Buswell, Carryville, Florida. And this is Jim McLaughlin's response. It's like this. We try to find a balance in what we write. If all we wrote were straight answers, we'd come across like an algebra textbook and no one would read us. If all we did was heckle letter writers, I'd like reading Wizard, but I'd probably be the only one. I think in every issue you get a good dose of hardcore information and a good dose of humor. Heck, in this very column you'll find out more about Citizen V than you ever known before. And you'll find out how I pick up women. I think the balance works. I think you like it yourself. After all, you admitted that some of our jokes make you bust out laughing. Sagrita Barrett, because a Unless it stops working, that's the way we operate. So how does he pick up women? You, you want to jump to that letter real quick? Okay, so th- this one is actually pretty fun. Because a lot of times, he doesn't give a straight answer, as he says. And he, he zigs when you think he's going to zag. So says, uh, hey Jim, I know you do very well with the ladies. Could you give me some pointers on how to pick up women? Adam Catafax, Wichita Falls, Texas. Jim says, conditioning is key. I go to the gym three times a week and do squats to keep my legs in good shape for women picking up. I also try to do some quick stretching exercises right before I pick a woman up. It's also important to never let your reach exceed your grasp. Know your limit as to how much you can pick up. Wear a lift belt if necessary and for crying out loud, always lift with your legs not with your back you'll get yourself hurt otherwise (laughs) he's just having a fun time here (laughs) and i think that's all we need to check out in the letters column i was gonna have you read one about the batman and robin movie but i the one about kevin terry (laughs) 
who throws some shade at people who pay to see Batman and Robin in theaters. Yeah, I just want to ask you this. I think this one really comes down to, did you see Batman and Robin in theaters? What do you think? I don't know. That's a hard no. (laughs) What were you watching in 1997? Could you even think of how you were entertaining yourself? Um, I read books. And I uh, played sports in high school because I was in high school in 97. Yes. And I did things with friends. I did not consume a lot of media. Well, fair enough then. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> you so have I much... can count on one hand the number of movies that I saw in a theater until I went to college. <laughs> yes. That didn't star Drew Barrymore. <laughs> I'd never seen a Drew Barrymore movie in the theater. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. Crazy. <laughs> All right. Well, dear, I think if you had gone to see a movie in the theater and people that knew you were finding out about it, it would have made a headline news in your small town. So that's why we're going to check in on some. Oh, boy. All right. So first up here, DC to introduce Tangent Universe is our top story this issue, as it's explained that, quote, DC will publish nine one-shot comics that take place in a separate alternate universe. Tangent Comics will present new concepts based on nothing more than the names of established DC characters. Dan Jurgens is the mastermind behind this event, dear. He's the one who was in charge of, like, the death of Superman, like, all the big issues of that. Um, and so it says here... Oh, I've totally heard of him. <laughs> Now, he created a 30-page Bible for the Tangent Universe that included new takes on a random assortment of characters, including the Atom, Doom Patrol, the Flash, Green Lantern, the Joker, Metal Men, Nightwing, Sea Devils, and Secret Six. (laughs) Though the cover of this issue actually proclaims DC Comics' version of Heroes Reborn. We'll get to what that means in a little bit. Jurgens clarifies, quote, What we're trying to do here is what Julie Schwartz got to do as a DC editor in the 50s. Creators had a chance to take the names of superheroes that existed before and use them to rebuild entirely from scratch the kind of book they wanted. So as Dan Jurgens puts it, these are totally original ideas and he is giving us some preview sketches of the characters here. For example, this is the Atom, dear. Okay. Do you have any idea of what the Atom does? Does he shrink to the size of an atom? You got it. I am so clever. Except that this one is like a nuclear-powered Superman, and he's taking over from his grandfather, who was mutated in this explosion, and then now he's going to be the new Adam. He finds out dark secrets. I see. So I, I, I had never heard of these before, and then I got a chance to read them this last week, and I'm just like, wow, this is a pretty fun little universe. Okay, who do you think that is? Little Bo Peep. Not Little Bo Peep. And her, with her she crook. She has a crook. Yeah. No, this is their version of the Green Lantern. Oh. Who is a woman who tells like these spooky stories that she can revive dead people and then let them fulfill so their she's destiny. A necromancer? Yeah. Hey, look at you. You were sure you weren't playing some Dungeons and Dragons in high school? No. Is that from Lord of the Rings? How do you know this term? <laughs> it's it's in a lot of literature, dear. Okay. Uh and then this is the Joker. It was a female Joker, which is a really cool concept. Yeah, I almost missed her bosom. She's like an anarchist that is just going around, like, messing with everybody. But the one I thought was really interesting was the Flash. They turned the Flash into a teenage girl whose parents were astronauts that got 
this like meteor thing and then it mutated her inside her mom's belly at the time you know that she was growing she comes out she's basically made of light and she can make herself into hard light but she's like this super celebrity and her mom is obsessed with promoting her and putting her in movies and like I'll, the only thing i didn't like is that they make her talk like share from clueless so she's just like a total like what yeah big airheaded trendy speak and it's really distracting but the art's really cool it's by a guy named gary frank so Hmm. all right well why don't you take us into our next story here a marriage made in bat heaven reports on the wedding of travis fessler and susan rothfuss who decided to save money by getting married in las vegas on march 19th 1997 while dressed as catwoman and the riddler The most shocking revelation is that the themed wedding was the bride's idea, says the groom. I'm actually more of a Superman person myself. As a wedding gift to the couple, Catwoman artist Jim Ballant Ballant? Ballant sent an original sketch of Catwoman in bridal wear with an armful of wedding gifts. And so Wizard actually includes a picture of the happy couple during their nuptials and the sketch by Jim Ballant. If you look behind you, dear, he's also the one that drew that Catwoman up there. He was just a very famous Catwoman artist. So, all right. But I, I have to ask you, if a mysterious benefactor agreed to finance our wedding no. with the condition that we dressed in costume, just any pop culture... <gasps> No. You, you would have chosen none. That is correct. You wouldn't have had us dress up like no. Drew Barrymore and the man who would be Wolverine in Ever After. You wouldn't have wanted to do a little bit of that? No, I don't think so. Nothing. Even though we had to pay for our own wedding. And we could have had a... I think we is kind of a... <laughs> I think we know who paid for that wedding. <laughs> Until the next story. <laughs> All right. Speaking of Gotham's feline fury, Catwoman gets a new look, is building hype for the 50th issue of Selena Kyle's ongoing series, which is still being drawn by Jim Ballant and at this time written by Doug Mensch. In a stunt that feels five years too late, though, it's revealed that Catwoman will get a new armored look in this double-sized story. Says Ballant, the costume will be beefed up, almost cybercat-like, with gadgets like a retractable whip that come out of her arm. Her costume will be metal as opposed to the old cloth. And will even have extendable metal claws. Not just her costume is metal, however, as the cover to the issue sports an embossed chrome gimmick. Now, I read this issue, and it's basically the equivalent, folks, of when Peter Parker got his spider armor. It's used for one battle, and by the end of the issue, she's back to her old look. It's a throwback concept even by 1997 when most of the gimmick covers had kind of faded. So that was like a big thing in the early 90s. They were just like, Everybody's buying comics. Okay, but how do we keep that rolling? So they would add, you know, a hologram cover. They'd add a chrome cover, things like that. So anyway, Glow in the Dark lasted for a little while. But I have to ask, because we discussed this on the Bad Girls episode, from a practicality standpoint, are you more on board with a protective nature of a cat armor or the freedom of movement offered by skin-tight spandex if you're going to be a crime fighter? That is an excellent question. I'm pretty sure the armor would be better because I'm sure spandex uh, chafes. Oh, there you go. Hey, you heard it here first, folks. (laughs) All right, on to our next story. New comic venture is totally awesome. Reports that in the wake of Rob Liefeld. Ooh, Rob Liefeld. We don't like him. You know that name. I do. (laughs) 
um, being dropped from his Heroes Reborn contract at Marvel. The controversial artist is launching yet another new publishing entity called Awesome Entertainment. Joining Liefeld will be... It's Jeff. Jeff. Who names their kid Jeff? (laughs) J-E-P-H. Apparently... Mr. and Mrs. Loeb. L-O-E-B. So they wanted their kid to have no part of their name that could be pronounced. (laughs) Um, And Scott Rosenberg, former head of Malibu Comics. Liefeld will be putting his maximum press titles on hiatus, except for Supreme, and launching three new comics through Awesome. The first is a miniseries called Judgment Day, The Coven, which reunites Loeb... Loeb... Lobe. Like your earlobe. Wow, just, <laughs> just spelled wrong. Um, Lobe with his cable collaborator, Ian Churchill, and a three-issue miniseries called Agent America, which will be written by Lobe and drawn by Liefeld. Okay, so first up here, this Heroes Reborn thing is very big at this time in comics. When you hear the concept of Heroes Reborn, what do you think that means? Like, what, what What? possibly could the story be about Heroes Reborn? Ah, uh, the old heroes are gone, dead. And new heroes take over their place, their names, their characters. Sounds like that tangent universe you've just been reading about. Well, you were right on the first half. So Marvel had a bunch of titles that just weren't selling. X-Men, always the number one comic selling anywhere. And Spider-Man did pretty well. But like Fantastic Four and Captain America and the Avengers and Iron Man, these were all like dirt. Like nobody cared about those comics. They were just like, they had been around forever, but nobody was reading them. And so Marvel said, nobody's buying these comics. We need to do something before we go bankrupt. We're going to bring back our two like highest selling artists. So Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, let's bring them in and let them do whatever they want with those four titles. And so Rob Liefeld was given Captain America. Okay. Why don't you start flipping through this issue of Fighting American? Because what happened was he was on the book for about five issues going into six and they sent him a fax that said, hey, uh, we want to renegotiate your contract. Uh, We don't think it's selling as well as we thought it would, but it actually was selling quite well. Uh, They really just wanted to pay him less for the last half of his contract. So he did not agree to that. And what he did instead was he went and created this comic book. At first he was promoting it here as Agent America. And Captain America was created by guys named Jack Kirby and Joe Simon. And when they left Marvel after creating Captain America, they created their own character named Fighting American. So then he went and got the rights to Fighting American and said, fine, if I can't publish any more of the Captain America stories I was going to do it Marvel, I'll do it by myself. And then Marvel continued to sue him just from promoting, I'm doing this Agent America. And then once he had the rights, now I'm doing Fighting American. And when you look at this comic book, what are you seeing? Uh, A lot of gratuitous violence and blood. But what do you think of the character design? I mean, it looks just like Captain America. Yeah. And it it was one of those things where immediately when comics fans saw it, just like Marvel, were like, well, you ripped off Captain America. He's like, no, the creators of Captain America ripped off Captain America. And then I just got the rights to use their ripoff of Captain America. (laughs) So now I'm just going to do the stories you would have seen because you want it so bad. So anyway, I just thought we'd give you that little bit of history because this is the first time everybody was seeing this thing called Agent America, which became 
Fighting American ultimately. So big moment for comics history because uh, Rob Liefeld's name just kind of kept getting dragged through the mud, especially in Wizard. Finally, also, all the people have very large feet. They're large feet? Well, large boots, tidy feet. If you look at the actual feet, they're non-existent. That's Rob Liefeld's thing. Oh, she's got big shoes on. Spice, who is the version of Bucky. That was his big innovation was Captain America's sidekick in the comics was Bucky. And when he did his new version, he's like, but Bucky's going to be a girl. But that had already been done in a Batman story in the 80s called The Dark Knight Returns. Because if you want to turn something on its head, you make a man a woman. What whole new Whoa. thing. Getting to our last but story here. But make her act like a man, because that's what happens. Yeah, that is generally what happens. All right, so finally, JLA Avengers goes on tour, reports that the owner of the 22 pages of original art by George Perez from the canceled crossover between Marvel and DC's premier super teams are going to be put on display for fans to enjoy at the Chicago Comic-Con and San Diego Comic-Con this summer of 1997. Says the owner, quote, It occurred to me that it's unfair to have this beautiful work just sitting in my closet. If fans want to see it, they should be able to. And now they will. And who do you think that gracious original art owner was? You guessed it, Frank Stallone. Uh, I mean, Rob Liefeld. Huh? He's not such a bad guy. He just wants to share comic art with the world. This was a big deal because, like, they had done a few crossovers, like Superman and Spider-Man crossover a couple times, Batman and the Hulk, X-Men and the Teen Titans. Like, they had done that. And then they're like, we're finally going to do the Avengers, and we're finally going to do the Justice League. And George Perez was, like, this beloved artist for doing, like, drawing pages with millions of characters on them. And then there was a bunch of miscommunications jockeying for superiority that it didn't happen even though he had drawn those 22 pages so this was a big deal because people had heard about it but never seen it except actually in wizard there was like one or two pages that were printed one time so they're like oh we have the exclusive so i will say dear also where this was displayed that is the first and only san diego comic-con i ever went to was in 1997 i had no idea i was missing this like there it was granted i didn't know it existed and granted, I wasn't a Rob Liefeld fan, so I wasn't following... Liefeld. <laughs> You're perfect for the show. You're a natural. <laughs> but, like, do you like that idea, seeing Justice League the Avengers fighting and then teaming up to fight a, a greater foe? Is that exciting to you in any way? Not at all? <laughs> you gotta speak. This is a uh, podcast. Um, unfortunately, you can't see my face here, dear listeners, <laughs> but... It is not something I have any interest in whatsoever. Okay, so that's not the one that's going to hook you, that's going to get you into no. reading comics. Okay. You know, and I believe Adam and I have had this conversation before, <laughs> that I don't care for comic book, the marriage of the text and the art. It's distracting, and I just don't like it. Yeah. Comic books, that format is just... The graphic novel is not for Can't me. you just think about it like reading a movie or a TV show with subtitles? That's basically the same thing. Uh, I've broken your brain. Come on. It's working. It's working. I'll have to consider that. Yes. There we go. We're one step closer, geeks. But hey, speaking of which, we're one step closer to the end of this episode. Woohoo! <laughs> so let's get into our table of contents. 
There are an awful lot of pages left of these notes. <laughs> I'm just going to point that out. All right. Why don't you start uh, looking through some of these items here? I don't know that I want to. <laughs> Wizard 71 featuring a July 1997 cover date featured two different covers. The first was a Batman versus Joker design by Joe Casada and Jimmy Palmiotti, while the second was a frightening preacher cover by series art cover artist Glenn Fabry. What do you think of that one? I, I don't understand. <laughs> if you saw that on the cover of a comic, what would you think it was about? Uh, fiery death and destruction? Close. We're going to get into that shortly. We'll like, tell you all about Preacher. But the issue also came packed with a Vampirella Chromium trading card. Isn't that exciting? Oh my god. Did any of your books that you bought back in the day come packed with trading cards and fun extras? Uh, not hooker cards. <laughs> She, I mean, this is ridiculous. Like, I'm just reading her stats on the back. Yes. She's 5'11 and 115 pounds. She's got Barbie beat everybody. But, I mean, she's wearing nothing. And I, I don't understand Vampirella anyway. Can you tell me her, her deal? Oh, is we're, she good or bad? She is good, and we're going to talk about it. Oh, is she? Uh, she all those she many, just dresses real, they, real bad. That's right. She's very Jessica Rabbit. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. But there's also an Ed McGinnis Deadpool poster backed by a Brian Douglas Ahern calendar. So this is a guy who ended up like drawing the Hulk and was a real big deal. Yeah, this looks very cartoony. Yes. That's his style. It's not my preferred style. But on the back, these are what we really love. Speaking of cartoony is these calendars. A lot of people put these up in their rooms because it would just be like famous moments in comics history where it related to the month. So I don't know. It's some pretty fun stuff in there. Anything stands? out to you any fun fact you're learning i find it so hard to read <laughs> can't focus I even can't on the focus. calendar all right well also in this issue though was a mail away offer for a wizard half issue now these were always a big deal because they were exclusive to the magazine you couldn't get them anywhere else and if there's one thing that comic book fans love it's an exclusive and so you would send in... Oh my goodness! Yeah, you would send in just for your shipping and handling, and you got this comic book that was a wizard half that kind of got you excited about a new comic book that was going to be coming out. So it was a promotional deal, and uh, yeah... They produced so many of these over the years. We don't have them all yet, but uh, we are collecting them. Oh, and I, I should mention this too. This issue didn't come with one of these, but most issues of Wizard came with an AOL subscription disc. Feel, there's an actual diskette in there. This isn't even a CD yet. That's how oh. old school this is. Isn't that crazy? Wow. <laughs> Did you ever get those in the mail? Do you remember seeing those? No. Never? The internet didn't come to your small town for a long time, did it? Yeah. <laughs> They're like, we're not promoting it there. Now let's get to our first cover story here. Death Takes a Holiday, uh, which lines up the suspects from the then-yet-to-be-completed 13-issue Batman series, okay, The Long Halloween. And uh, the story centers around a serial killer in Gotham who commits their murders against the mafia families of the city on a holiday each month. And so they're called The Holiday Killer. Taking place during Batman's first year as a masked crime fighter, the story also digs deeper into the origin of Harvey Dent becoming Two-Face 
police. After considering all the clues, Wizard correctly predicts at least one of the culprits, though they don't know how accurate they were at the time. I'm going to show you some of the suspects here, and I want to get your pick for who you think is the culprit, okay? Who of these people looks the most like a murderer to you? This is what they had to say about Harvey Dent. While the long Halloween fellas sure do want us to believe it's Dent, he's conveniently absent the same time Holiday is killing someone. He's conspicuously toiling in his basement workshop when Holiday is working in his basement. He says things that sound kind of suspicious like, they do our jobs for us, in reference to the mob wars killing members of the Roman and Moroni's families, and was happy the Roman's men were all murdered, feeling they got what they deserve, but Dent ain't Holiday. Besides being way too obvious, Harvey Dent is still in a law-upholding phase in his life, and murder just ain't his way. Yet. But then they go for the most obvious, which is the calendar man. Because he loves calendars? He, he loves calendars, that's right. So he's very aware of those holidays, yeah. is what they're insinuating. It's kind of like, and I know you haven't seen this movie, but it's Silence of the Lambs. They go and they consult Hannibal Lecter because they're trying to get into the mind of a serial killer. And so they go and they consult the calendar man trying to get his ideas. And it says, the motive, as the calendar man, Julia Day commits crimes according to the calendar. The same as Holiday. He's also mentally unstable and could easily be the killer. It's not unlikely. The Roman did something nasty at some point to a vengeful day. Day is in good hands at Arkham Asylum and it's just too far-fetched, not to mention a little anticlimactic, to believe he breaks out every holiday to commit these murders. Plus, the Roman's connection to Day, while plausible, seems like it's something that would be common knowledge. So yeah, too obvious. But what do you think? Any of those stand out to you as a possible killer? I think it's Mrs. Richard Daniel. Really? She's driven to the brink by grief. Someone murdered her husband in front of her eyes. <laughs> if that doesn't drive you to kill people, I just don't know what would. To spoil a very old story, it was actually Alberto Falcone tried to get revenge on his dad. He was born on a holiday. That's why he chose to kill on holidays. Oh. And he was never accepted by his father. He's the only person wearing glasses. Hmm. There must be something in that symbolism. <laughs> but also, uh, Harvey Dent's wife then did some of the killings too after he got turned into Two-Face and some stuff happened. So there was kind of two holiday killers. So it's kind of a cheat. But if you had to pick a theme for a killing spree, what would it be? A theme for killing spree? <laughs> yeah, you, you don't want to just go out there and just murder people that upset you. You want to have a gimmick, you know? You want to have something that's, they're going to find in the papers. Like, would you do it with ribbons from wrapping paper? Would you be the, the ribbon killer? You want to stuff bread in people's mouths and suffocate them? You do love a bread. I do. Why would I murder with it? <laughs> well, because you could have a snack after you're done. <laughs> you know, this is honestly not something I've ever considered. Have you? Uh, no, but I mean, I, I'm just thinking, I mean, it, fitting in with this theme, it would probably- Yes, my husband's murderous tendencies. <laughs> but we're, we're not, we're not going to incriminate ourselves here. I think I'm more, here. I'm more likely to strangle somebody, say, with your videotape. Oh! <laughs> A domestic <Maybe> homicide. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think that would be fitting. Yeah, that 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 you works. You could be the videotape killer. Yeah, I like that. Otherwise, I was just going to take the sharpest edges of like the chromium covers and kill people with that. So it'd be the comic book killer. I don't think so. Uh, Maybe if you fed it to people. Yeah. Fed mm. comic books to people. <laughs> Let's get the shredder out. We'll just because go. you you ate a comic book that one time. Look at I you! Remember. You remember the earliest day of wizards? Mm. That's fantastic. Well, our second cover story here, Hot for Preacher, is an exploration of Preacher becoming the top Vertigo title after Neil Gaiman brought the Sandman to a close in 1996. Pop quiz. 
Who's Neil Gaiman? I don't know. You do know because you love one of his movies, or at least a movie based on one of his stories, starring Claire Danes and the man who would be Daredevil. And Henry Cavill is in it. You're saying all these names like I know them. (laughs) I know who Claire Danes is. You do, and she plays a star in... Oh! Stardust. Stardust. Yeah, so Neil Gaiman, he was also a comic book writer. Who's... who, who is he? He is a British man, and he's little, and he writes... In the movie. Who is he in the movie? Neil Gaiman's not in the movie. He wrote the book that they made the movie Ah! about. I mean, maybe, I don't think he had a cameo as far as I know, but he wrote this comic called The Sandman, which Netflix just turned into a series. They were trying to make it into a movie for like 30 years and they finally did it. And it was just, it's like one of the most popular graphic novels. People would call it like respected, like, oh, it's not comic book kids fair. Like it's very cerebral. It deals a lot of adult themes and people like read it on college campuses all the time. Oh, you know? yes. Yeah, very, very highbrow. Yeah. But he had quit and he said, I'm done telling that story. And so Wizard asked for comment from Vertigo editor and future DC editor-in-chief Axel Alonzo. How's that for a comic book name? Who declares, comparing Sandman to Preacher is like comparing the English patient to the Toxic Avenger. Neil Gaiman himself puts it succinctly, quote, I think it's like comparing apples and fish, while Garth Ennis, the writer of Preacher, makes three in agreement, stating, quote, The two books are obviously very, very different. Any sort of link or comparison between the two is very tenuous at best, and only comes from the fact that Preacher is now Vertigo's best-selling book and Sandman used to be. Sandman tapped into a very strong gothic fantasy kind of drama. Preacher taps into what's popular in movies right now, that twisted kind of Americana that's been popular since the late 80s. Can you give me some examples of Twisted Americana? Yes. Well, there is a character in the book. His name is Arseface. His name is Arseface because they wouldn't let him be named the actual face. So they had to use the British term in the American comics. He was a teenager who found out that Kurt Cobain shot himself. Uh And so he decided to do the same to be like his hero, but it didn't take. He just messed up his face. And so his dad is a sheriff who's like just embarrassed by him. But in the comic, he just kind of muffles his word balloons. Like it's kind of hard to understand his dialogue, but he becomes kind of a sympathetic character through the story. Uh, But also like Preacher himself, this guy, Jesse Custer is his name. He has this thing called the word where basically he speaks and he has the ability to make anybody do what he says it's kind of like he has the power of god yeah essentially and manipulation great but also god has gone missing from heaven and he is trying to find god because he's mad at the state of things and he's just like where'd you go get back to work type thing (laughs) yeah so there's a lot of twisted americana in his travels as he goes around the country so a little bruce almighty Uh, (laughs) the darkest bruce almighty so the real question though is are the two adult oriented books more similar than the creatives behind the titles recognize so wizard provides a comparison chart to give us an opportunity to figure it out for ourselves so let's take a look here so this is called men in black it says sandman or preacher vertigo's two best-selling titles and believe it or not their title characters morpheus and jesse custer have a lot in common for those of you who are unaware of the similarities wizard presents this rundown so you will read the sandman and i will read the jesse custer side okay so wait i'm I'm confused you're morpheus Morpheus? you're morpheus my bad because morpheus is sandman yeah he's he is the sandman he is dream he is also called morpheus and he he basically runs the realm of dreams that we all go to when we sleep so in that other movie 
Stardust? No. <laughs> There's another movie about dreams. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street? No. Where Morpheus is the character. Oh, The Matrix. Read? The Matrix? Yeah. Is that why he's named Morpheus? Mm, sort of. <laughs> All right, let's get into this here. So Dr. Kristen will read the Morpheus column. I will read the Jesse Custer column. We will contrast and compare. Okay, Morpheus looks dreamy in basic black. Jesse Custer looks holy in basic black. Has an immortal drinking buddy in Hob Gadling. He has an immortal drinking buddy in Cassidy. Went searching for Satan. Is looking for God. Some of his family wanted to kill him. Some of his family wanted to kill him. His idea of revenge is sentencing his ex-girlfriend to the bowels of hell. His idea of revenge is forcing someone to literally count every grain of sand on the beach. Killed a family member. Killed a family member. When the family gets together, death always shows up. When the family gets together, death always shows up. Now, just so you know, Morpheus, his sister, is death. And she's just, like, carefree. Everybody loves her because she's just, like, the nicest person. She's not what you think death would be at all. She's just, like, leading people. It's okay. It's time to go. She's, she's super great. You know, she's, like, just a goth girl. 90s look. All right. Last up here. Dispenses justice with the wisdom of a god. Dispenses justice with the word of God. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, you guys can tell us if you think there's any other similarity they missed between Preacher Comics and The Sandman. All right, now next one here, though, is going to be a lot of fun because we've already heard her commentary. Blood Brothers takes us back to the world of bad girls by Aww. spotlighting Vampirella Bloodlust. It's a one-shot which contains fully painted interiors by famed cover and trading card artist Joe Jesco for a story by James Robinson. This is the first time Jesco had done interior sequential storytelling in his career, but he gives his collaborator most of the credit. Quote, James's script was just everything you could ask for as an illustrator. It's one of the reasons I can't wait to work with Robinson again. He knew my strengths and what I wanted to do. Admitting to putting in 12 to 16 hour days to create two pages a week, Jesco declares, quote, I'm treating every page the way I treat the covers. It's basically 48 pages of cover paintings, so it's definitely taken a long time. As for the story being illustrated, this Vampirella adventure takes place just after the heroine has been killed on Earth, and she ends up on her home planet of Draculon to find that the river Styx has dried up. I'm pretty sure, though, people were just buying it for the pretty pictures. Pretty pictures? <laughs> just look at this art. If she was not dressed scantily and she was in a nice dress, wouldn't you say this art is very nicely rendered? Um... Super impressed. What? You can't speak against Jisco. Turning the page to look. No, I'm really not. Maybe I'm just so distracted by her booty cheeks hanging out. <laughs> I mean, that could be. But it definitely is foreign looking. Otherworldly. There you go. So, I mean, he achieved that. Yeah, well, and it's this is the thing is, you know, this is... If you were reading fantasy books, which picked up... I did read fantasy books. Did you? But don't you remember, like, the painted covers of fantasy art? That's basically this style of art. You know, again, just generally they're wearing more clothes. (laughs) 
unless you're reading some barbarian adventure or you know because there were a lot of artists like joe jusco didn't necessarily do a lot of fantasy covers but there's like boris vallejo and his wife julie bell like they just drew people in like loincloths that were battling dragons most of the time you know mm-hmm. so anyway but this was very popular at this time just any type of painted art as we're going to get into here next up though the wizard q a with kurt Busiek provides insight into the career of the popular comic book scribe who describes his high profile status thusly quote i was an overnight sensation after 12 years in the business. With titles like Marvel's, Astro City, Thunderbolts, and Untold Tales of Spider-Man under his belt, Wizard couldn't help but sing his praises every issue. So I'm going to pass some works of Busick over to Dr. Kristen here for her to take a look. These are the things that made him a star here. Covers? That's what I'm looking at? Not the covers. So these are, this is his collaborator, Alex Ross. He wrote the stories. Oh. But, But I'm just curious to see what you think as you're kind of flipping through, get some idea. So the question is, did the 37-year-old Busick always intend to get into comics? The answer is yes. In fact, he sold his first Green Lantern backup story for DC Comics while in college. Quote, I made the sale on Thursday and graduation was on Saturday. At this time, though, Busick was about to begin writing the ongoing Avengers and Iron Man titles once Heroes Reborn wrapped up and says, quote, I made a pitch for Iron Man three times. Iron Man is the book I have wanted to write for probably 20 years now, so it feels good to be this close to actually getting to put some of these ideas to print. Now, Wizard has been such a cheerleader of Busick's work on Untold Tales of Spider-Man, and upon hearing that that book would be canceled with issue 25, asked Busick if he would ever write an ongoing Spider-Man book. Quote, The problem with the current continuity, Spidey, is that there are four core titles, so anybody that's writing those only gets to write a piece of Spider-Man. With Spider-Man or Superman or Batman or X-Men, you're sharing these characters every single time. I think that'd be hard. Ask whether he ever expected to have this big a workload as a professional comics writer, Busick declares, quote, I didn't ever imagine that I would be about to write my two favorite comic books at the same time, but I've always seen myself as writing four books a month and being a full-time comics writer. And that's where I am. So, as you see here, dear, Marvel's was a big deal. What, what do you think here? This is the Marvel Universe from the perspective of the normal people. And that was kind of his gimmick is he would write comic book stories in a world where there were superheroes, but he would take the normal citizens. So in the citizens of New York and Marvels, in Astro City, it was all the people that lived there. But he always made things very like personal and relatable. It wasn't just Biff Bam Pow. But as you kind of flip through these, what did you think? I mean, the art in this is neat. It's very realistic. Yeah. The people look very ordinary. Yes. I mean, but I guess, I I guess the question is, is this what you would expect when you're opening up a nineties comic book? Would you think it would be something like this? No, not that one. Okay. And Astro City, like I say, that was the one that people really loved just because it was just like a new take on old, like archetypes of superheroes, but usually like wrapped up in one issue or a couple issues. So that was not a normal thing in comics at this time it was everything was like you know stories that have been going on for 10 years and still weren't resolved you know the young and the restless of comic books (laughs) yes (laughs) exactly they are superhero soap operas that's for sure maybe that's another reason i do not like them there's no resolution there's no ending 
Hmm. There's no satisfaction. Because you like to binge a TV show Until and, it's done. And, and see the end. So you'll, you'll catch up with it when it's over. Okay, I can see that. I can see that. And that's what graphic novels, like Marvel's, for example, it was a one and done thing. It was a limited series and then the story was told. And, that, and a lot of people do like that. But I'm going to get into something else here that's a little more visual that you probably can comment on because we don't usually cover the basic training section of the magazine because it's a literal visual art lesson of how to draw comic books. But it felt appropriate this time since we have you here, you had previously shared your thoughts on the portrayal of women in comics in our Bad Girls special. So here we have Terry Moore providing a tutorial basically on how to draw realistic women, which was obviously a problem in comic books, okay? Mm -hmm. So here he is giving his ideas for the things you need to keep in mind when you're drawing comics. And I'm handing her a copy of Strangers in Paradise. This was his like personal work. This is what he was known for. Mm -hmm. So why don't you flip through that a little bit here as we start reading and we'll see if what he's preaching here matches. So he says, bigger than life. Let's start with the obvious. Female heroes look cool on paper, but they are deliberately exaggerated in an effort to make them more dynamic. That's fine. It's like the muscle thing with men, but you can reach a point where it's hard to relate. If you take the average woman and stand her next to the typical modern heroine, the differences would be pretty obvious. Size matters. Think about how tall your female characters are supposed to be. Don't make them all the same height because nature doesn't work that way. Vary the heights on your characters. You'll find it helps you and the reader relate to them a little easier. He says, it seems such a mundane thing to say, but if you want your women characters to look real, then draw real women. Don't just draw an outline. Think about things like flesh and bones. You're no different than a sculptor shaping your figures on paper. Look at this illustration of three women. The figure on the left is the female hero, as the artist typically draws her. The figure in the middle is what would probably look like in real life. I mean, if you could lift tanks and punch through buildings, then you're going to have some meat on you, right? But look at the figure on the far right. That's what the average woman would look like in the same costume. Now, why don't you read for us here this segment on gravity works oh this is my favorite topic gravity now that's a big deal for the artist and the female form let me show you how important gravity is to your figure observe the torso on the left is our hero the center drawing is more a more realistic example of a female form wearing the same suit and the right we see the same realistic form unrestrained. This is how the female body is made. The bust is soft. It reacts to things like gravity and tight clothes. It really helps to understand this and incorporate it into your drawings because the reader also possesses this knowledge. Well, I'm going to say most of your readers probably didn't. <laughs> Um, Some of them had sisters. Most of them had moms. <laughs> and these details make all the difference in your character's plausibility. Remember, the female figure isn't a skinny teenage boy with tennis balls in his shirt. So don't draw it that way. So very important tips from Terry Moore. But as you were flipping through that Strangers of Paradise comic, did you feel like that was probably a more realistic representation of women's probably body types? 100%, yes. Okay. If you were going to read this comic, though, you would feel comfortable just reading the story because it doesn't immediately take you out. Like, does it, does it feel more relatable to you that it's focused on female characters and their body types are Irrelevant. more accurate to real life? Yeah, it's not the point. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, good. See, Terry Moore making comics more accessible. That is good. Hey there, geeks. Time to take a break to talk about our sponsor, Manscaped. Michael, 
Let's consider the great beards of comic books. Uh, how about Tony Stark, Doctor Strange, Eric Masterson, Thunderstrike? Yeah, how about the Maestro from the Hulk? That guy had a monster beard. Sure did. Also, they've got Green Arrow, the Aquaman of the 90s had that really thick beard, Deathstroke, the Terminator, Commissioner Jim Gordon, and one of my personal favorites, Beard Hunter, the serial killer that hunts down people with beards. Oh, no, am I safe, Michael? I you don't are know. not safe. You are not <laughs> safe at all. Well, you know who's here to save the day, though, is Manscaped, because we have great news for superheroes and citizens alike, because Manscaped is once again revolutionizing men's grooming with the brand new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. From a beard trim to a fresh shave, the technology behind the Beard Hedger Pro Kit allows you to shape your signature beard look. Now you can use Manscaped products that make your drapes match your carpet by going to manscaped.com using the code WIZARDS20 for 20% off and free shipping. No one likes a weird beard, so say goodbye to all your stubble trouble with Manscaped's Pro Beard Kit. Manscaped sent us both the Beard Hedger Pro Kit, and Adam, you're out there growing your beard like it's pretty crazy. You did this just to use this device. What's your experience been so far? It has been fantastic. I just feel like every time I get to pull out my Beard Hedger Pro Kit, I'm just having a, a great moment. Just like, hey, how about a little bit here? How about a little bit there? Ooh, yeah, I'm really taking care of myself now. And so it's it's been fun. And I've been getting compliments all over the place. Dude, like, I'm just the beard is a great look for you. It really is. Yeah, I mean, it, it works really well. So maybe if you're looking for a new style for 2023, this might be it. Uh, but it all starts with that Beard Hedger. The thing is, it's a juggernaut of fixing faces. It's not the juggernaut. He's very clean shaven. Uh, but it has, it's a cordless trimmer. It has this rotary wheel. It is so cool. Uh, what I love about it is it, it has 20 hair cutting legs. You just roll it here and it is so gentle. It works perfectly. Just getting those little touch ups. So I use it a lot to like do the edging underneath my mustache and like around your chin area and everything. It cleans up all that stuff. It's really fantastic. And I just got one for my dad because he's been having issues with all of his beard trimmers. The battery doesn't last his whole face. He's like, I did like four shavings and this thing still kept going with, with a long battery life, which is pretty wild. Yeah, it's fantastic. It has one guard, but you get 20 lengths. It's very utilitarian in that way. Plus, it's waterproof, so you can shave in the shower and avoid all the hair all over the sink. And trust me, my wife can't stand that, so that's where I have to shave is the shower. <laughs> And actually, Michael, I got to tell you about the other stuff that they have going on here because the beard shampoo and conditioner is like my favorite thing. Mm -hmm. I love the idea of getting in the shower, like you're saying. And then what do you do? You lather up your beard first before anything else. You're just like, oh, yeah, this is, this is luxury right here. Like, it's so fun. I don't know. Like, I just never considered pampering myself in that way, this area here, you know. But it, because it's designed to moisturize, reduce ingrown hairs, replace natural oils, and promote beard health and i feel it after i use it but they also have a beard oil it's like that essential piece for your, your main facial accessory if you want to say because you know you don't want a brittle and dry beard like it's it's super soft and it's nice and moisturized the oil relieves the dryness both on the beard and the skin underneath because that's the other thing too you don't want to get all itchy and all that mm -hmm. it gives you a little shiver shine you look extra fine finally the beard kit comes with the beard bomb a pomade that shapes styles and moisturize and tames the sculpted look plus three free gifts a beard brush a comb and scissors to ensure your beard is ready to impress 
Yeah, so guys, this is the time. You got to jump on it. Get your 20% off and free shipping with the code WIZARDS20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the promo code WIZARDS20. Manscaped's beard hedger, guys. One stroke, one guard, 20 lengths. Now back to the show. Now, finally here in Amalgamania... Oh yeah, brother, Amalgamania. We see that the wizard staff was still feeling amalgam fever at this time, and not content to just write out their concepts, they hired comics pros like Mike Waringo, Jim Balance, Stephen Hughes, Stuart Immonen, Jerry Ordway, Brett Booth, Joe Quesada, and Jimmy Palmiotti to illustrate their ideas for some superhero mashups. All right, so just to give you an idea here of what this is actually all about here. So Amalgam Comics was this thing when the industry was kind of not doing so well, in 1996-1997 they kind of joined forces They're like well let's get together and sell some comics do the things that everybody really wants to see characters combined so for example they took superman and captain america and you got super soldier that's pretty cool right sure. <laughs> wolverine and batman and created dark claw that's messed up <laughs> what's wrong with dark claw everybody loves him everybody does not <laughs> Okay, why don't you read this first one for us? Blade Runner. Uh, Meet Logan West, the fastest man alive and the most dangerous. Trapped in a secret government lab, West was prematurely freed when a lightning bolt struck his experimental tank. Mysteriously equipped with an adamantium-laced skeleton and claws, the lightning granted him super speed, a rapid healing factor, and enhanced senses. West took advantage of his newfound abilities and freedom to exact revenge on those who had held him against his will and stolen his memories. Now he's America's top assassin, fighting to unlock the mysteries of his past under the code name Blade Runner. <laughs> so this is Wolverine and the Wally West Kid Flash costume combined. What do you think of that look there? You want to see Hugh Jackman in that costume? <sighs> That one's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I do not uh, like and look this how big his feet are. <laughs> well, Rob Liefeld didn't draw him. All right. <laughs> Next one here. Liefeld. Hell's Angel. Okay, so this is Princess Diana Wonder Woman combined with Spawn. Okay, this is wild. When Diana, a princess of the Amazonian island Themyscira, Paradise Island, was mysteriously murdered, she turned to her Greek gods for help in restoring her life and punishing her killer. Rejected by the gods on Mount Olympus, Diana looked for help in Hades. At a terrible price, in exchange for her soul, Diana was returned five years later a hellspawn with mystical powers. With Paradise Island in utter ruins and all her Amazon sisters dead, all Diana found was a tiny clue to the killer's origin. This clue led her away from Themyscira and into the world of men where she thirsts for the blood of her people's executioner as Hell's Angel. That was pretty cool, huh? I can respect that. I like that one. What do you think of the costume design? Um, I don't... What's the pouches on her leg about? Well, that was another big thing in the 90s, is everybody had to have pouches. They had to keep their snacks on them. They had to, you know, they wanted to have their band-aids. Strapped to her thigh? Yeah, that, that was like the most common look for so many characters. Yeah, it was a big deal. Huh, I can't, I can't speak for the practicality. <laughs> it, that would chafe. That That's all I can say. Fanny oh. pack. <laughs> Surprised everybody's not wearing fanny packs. Spandex with a little fanny pack. Adam, I think that could be a good look for you. Can't have a beard, but I can have spandex and a fanny pack. Okay. 
<laughs> All right, take us to the next one here. Armageddon. An abused teenager, Robert Bruce Fairchild, took solace in the lonely safety of the desert, away from the family strife and the cruelty of his classmates, until the night he wandered into a gamma bomb test site. That's dangerous. There, in the blast of a radioactive inferno, Fairchild died, and in his wake was born a hulking, gamma-irradiated creature with massive strength, nigh invulnerability, and the ability to wake the dead. Now having the power to back up his anger, the creature that was once Fairchild has one wish, to make the world feel his pain, the pain of Armageddon. Yeah! So this is the Hulk. Obviously. But mixed with a character named Evil Ernie. Evil Ernie? What does that make you think of? That that does sound frightening. Yeah, so he was basically this guy that was like mostly a skeleton. Then he then he had long hair. He's kind of like a heavy metal dude named and, Ernie, and he killed people using the Mega Death. And yeah, so he was uh, just kind of an underground but pretty popular character of this era. All right, the next one here is pretty cool though. This is Dark Knight. Frail 23-year-old Stephen Wade was tossed aside as his parents were mercilessly gunned down by thieves. The killers were captured and released on a technicality, and Wayne saw the American dream crash down around him. Too weak to lash out, his destiny unfurled when he discovered a secret super soldier serum in his father's laboratory and drank the only sample. His body transformed to the pinnacle of human perfection. Wayne spent years training to become the perfect fighting machine. Now donning the mantle of a bat to instill fear in criminals' hearts, he fights for those who can't fight for themselves as the Dark Knight. In this case now, what if you took Batman and Captain America and put them together? Would have made this Dark Knight character, which is pretty neat. And they have a couple others here. They do like the Atom and Spider-Man, so they have Spider-Mite, which is just kind of a fun idea. They have Ra's al Ghul, who's a Batman villain, and Doctor Doom, so now it's Ra's al Doom. Then they have Asylum, who is the Joker and Venom combined. The other two here that'll be big, we're going to post this to social media for you guys, but they have Wildcard who's Gambit and Grifter, which is, you don't know Grifter. He's from a comic called Wildcats, but every... He wore a long trench coat, and so did Gambit from X-Men. So it was like, trench coat guys, put them together. And then Lady Death, you saw that half comic in this issue, Tales from, of the Witchblade. Well, they mm-hmm. mixed Witchblade with... Lady Death, who is another, you know, you remember her from the Bad Girls. Oh, I remember. (laughs) So that was a cool thing. But let's read this last one here because this is Superman and Namor combined into Super Manta. Rocketed from the doomed aquatic world of Krypton, the infant namor crashed onto a similarly namor water-based planet, L. Earth. Adopted by the king and queen of the underwater continent Atlantis, namor was raised by the monarchy as one of its own. Accustomed to water pressure at any depth, namor is nigh invulnerable, can breathe underwater, has super strength and incredible stamina. Now acting as a liaison between Atlantis and the surface world, namor has become the ultimate ecological warrior, traveling the world's oceans fighting for conservation, preservation, and the Atlantean way as Super Manta. <laughs> oh, that one's fantastic. He looks ridiculous, but it's basically Superman yes. in Namor's black costume, but then he has a red kind of fin wing, wing cape thing. So, yeah. Amalgams. Do you love them? Well, they're certainly interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just a new thought on all this. Now, last thing I want to mention here. Uh, 
Issue 71 also features a fun photo adventure of Jim McLaughlin uh, taking a tour of the Marvel offices, and in addition to rubbing shoulders with members of the Marvel bullpens, all the writers and artists and stuff, uh, he meets up with Spider-Man and Wolverine, and then he just gets, like, to go around and have some fun times with them. So, anyway, that's something we'll post to social media for you guys as well. But, you know, it's a very visual thing, so speaking of visual, it's time for Heroes in Motion. Wesley Snipes hasn't even finished shooting Blade, but he's already talking about a sequel being a foregone conclusion. Quote, without a doubt, if we don't, then the ending we shot won't make very much sense. Snipes' prediction was correct, as Blade garnered two sequels of varying quality. Unfortunately, his Black Panther film is not so lucky, even though, as Snipes reports about the script, quote, it's currently being rewritten under Stan Lee's supervision, it's going to be real different from Blade. So did you know that in the 90s, there was almost a Black Panther movie? I did not. Yeah, so that was a big deal. I, I still can't believe they did not get a cameo for Wesley Snipes in, I get I guess the world at large probably didn't know, but for comic book fans, that would have been a big thing. Have you seen Blade? No. Did uh, you know Blade existed? How about that? Before I married you? No. Okay. <laughs> it is on the shelf behind you in my VHS collection, but you don't need to watch it. Maybe the opening scene where they go to a vampire rave and they bring this guy in and then all of a sudden you just have blood coming out of the sprinkler system and they're dancing in blood to that rave music and then they all eat him. Oh. That's what everybody remembered from that movie. They're like, that was awesome. <laughs> and it's what many people called the first Marvel movie that was a success, even though nobody going to the theater knew it was based on a Marvel comic. So a lot of people take issue with that. Uh -huh. But here's something I know you've seen. Yeah. The second season of the Hulk animated series has been toned down to appeal more to a younger audience, says story editor Greg Johnson, quote, Basically, Banner's no longer a wanted fugitive. There'll be no General Ross. Betty Ross plays a minor role and Rick Jones is gone. She-Hulk will still be part of the series, but as Johnson reveals, quote, We're pulling the sexuality back. She's more sassy than over-the-top sexy. But what about the rampaging Hulk? Will he be rescuing kittens out of trees and singing songs? Johnson explains, quote, There will be no more of the dark tone and no more tortured Bruce Banner, but he's still the Hulk and transforms into a beast. So, Dr. Kristen, I showed you... The you did make me watch. <laughs> Several episodes. <laughs> and so when we watched that first introduction to She-Hulk when she's transforming and she's a Oh, big boy. <laughs> she was very sultry. That oh is for sure. Oh, my goodness. Now, they promised that in the second season when they brought her back that she was going to be toned down sexually. Lies. All <laughs> lies. Yes, she was wearing basically a black bikini now instead Correct. of a workout outfit. Yeah. Uh, so you, you didn't think they accomplished their goal? They did not. Okay. But she was sassy. <laughs> Crickets. <laughs> My wife makes great faces, guys. I'm sorry you're not seeing it. Yes, you are really missing No out. video component to this one. 
Alas. All right, now here's another Marvel movie I'm sure you didn't know about. David Hasselhoff is confirmed to be starring in a Fox TV movie as Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., complete with the eye patch and cigar of the classic look of the character. Mm. Though I actually didn't watch the movie when it aired in 1998, I did see the Hoff at Comic-Con in 1997, and I observed some family strife. Have I told you the story before? Mm, I don't. I don't believe so. No. So we were walking around. We were actually getting Tia Carrere's autograph. You know Tia Carrere from Wayne's World, right? She's Cassandra. Yes. Okay. So so we were waiting in line. My friends and I, and my friend's mom, like yelled at her because she was about to leave, and he's like, "You gotta sign this. He's your biggest fan." Thank you, Tia. Like it was so terrible. We were very embarrassed. But meanwhile, <laughs> on the other side of this. There was, I saw David Hasselhoff come by and I'm like, oh, okay. And he was going to like get ready to talk about Nick Fury. But then a few minutes later, he comes back and he's got this little kid with him. And he's like behind one of like the booths. And he's just like, what are you doing? You need to stop. You will behave. And he's just yelling at this kid. I'm like, what is going on? So like, man, I never expected this Michael Knight. Uh, so anyway, that, that was kind of an awkward moment. But we still love the Hoff. As a dad now, as a mother, you know, we... We engage in this as well. <laughs> now, in more Marvel movie news, Chris Columbus, you know Chris Columbus, the director? I do not. Sure you do. He directed the first two Harry Potter films, your favorite wizard, and Adventures of Babysitting. Oh! And, and, okay. Well, anyway, he had officially dropped out of directing a Fantastic Four movie that he had been trying to develop. But now it's going to be helmed by Pete Siegel, a.k.a. the director of Tommy Boy. Would you want to see a Fantastic Four movie in the style of Tommy Boy? It might be better than the Fantastic Four movie that was made. She That's has some not sense. saying a lot. <laughs> but of course, this never happens. And neither does a rumored Submariner film by Philip Kaufman, who made this astronaut movie called The Right Stuff. Very strange choice to make a Submariner film. There was also a Silver Surfer movie that was supposed to happen. They say it was going to come out in the summer of 1998. That was a no-go. He eventually shows up in the second Fantastic Four movie. Do you remember that? No. <laughs> you saw the first one and you said, I'm done. Okay. As far as you know. I don't, I don't recall ever watching it. Okay. Now, speaking of films scheduled for summer 1998, DC Comics didn't have any more luck in getting their films into theaters that summer. Despite the fact that Tim Burton is now officially announced in this issue as the director of a new Superman film starring Nicolas Cage as Superman. Hmm. Are you aware of this? No. What do you think about it upon hearing that it was going to happen? I don't see how that could be a good fit in any way. Nope. And that was their pitch. He's an outsider. He's an alien. He doesn't he's fit weird. in. Yeah, he's weird. So then it's like, oh, okay, Nicolas Cage, yes. But sadly, it's reported that Superman scriptwriter Kevin Smith is being discarded. Burton's bringing in his own screenwriter for the project. So that is too bad. We love some Kevin Smith. And he was very loyal to the comics tim burton's version they actually made an entire documentary about the movie that never happened and you look at it you're like oh yeah it was probably a good thing in the long run now also because they can't stop talking batman and robin which was hitting theaters this summer wizard interviews jeep swenson jeep <laughs> He is a wrestler turned stuntman who's bringing the character of Bane to life on the screen. Do you remember Bane from Dark Knight Rises? I do. Hello, Dr. Kristen. Thank you for joining us. I, I do. Yeah. Anyway, this was a very different Bane. 
Because Swenson is six foot five and 402 pounds, he explains that he had to do, quote, almost all the stunts. There's nobody my size to do the stunts. And very confident in the success of the film, Swenson declares, quote, you will see Bane again. I can't necessarily tell you when, but Bane will return. But not with you, Mr. Swenson. And again, you have not seen Batman and Robin with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Uma Thurman. And the Freeze. Yeah, Mr. Freeze. Ivy. Yeah. Not for like 15, 20 years. Okay. So you don't remember whether you liked it or not. Um, it no comment. did not make an impression. Made a big impression on us comic book fans, but yeah. It is the reason my mother did not want us to name our daughter ivy oh interesting okay she she remembered the movie she was like she's gonna be called poison ivy she <laughs> was not not down with that but then too bad mom too bad going back to batman forever though we did just name our cat harvey while we were watching batman forever i suggested it so you did new cat harvey the cat now there is a casting call in this issue for a live-action Iron Man movie. This is very popular because this is a time when superhero movies weren't really being made. Now it's all that's being made. But back then, we're like, oh, what if this guy played this? So this was for Iron Man. We will be discussing this on our mini episode with a past guest, Richie Philippi, who's going to be coming back because he actually worked on the set of the Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man film. So he was there. He guarded the armor. Like, that Whoa. was his job. Yeah, so. Look at my excited face, listener. <laughs> But you like Iron Man, yeah? Sorry. It's good. It's good. I like Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. So look forward to that. But in the meantime, also look forward to Jim and Todd's Hype Machine. Now, Jim Lee is planning to draw a new title at Wildstorm, that's his studio, once his commitments to Marvel and Heroes Reborn have ended. By the way, Heroes Reborn, you had your pitch for what you thought it could be. Just, I, I didn't actually lay it out real quick. Heroes Reborn, what they did was they basically sent all those characters into this void, like they were sacrificing themselves to fight this Professor X from the X-Men turned into this character called Onslaught. And since he's who the most evil. Yeah, who is evil and he's the most powerful, you know, telekinetic, psychic, whatever, you know, and so he's able to actually like manipulate everybody. So they all disappeared and everybody thought they were dead. So in the regular Marvel comics, everybody just carried on like Captain America's gone, but I'll be a hero, that kind of thing. But at this time, Jim Lee was doing Fantastic Four and Iron Man and kind of Fantastic Four, he just did it like it always had been done. But Iron Man, he kind of revamped the character and a lot of things that ended up in the movie some of that kind of started with Jim Lee's take which is a big deal. big deal he has this new project he's doing though called Faraday's Law which he says has more of a fantasy angle says Lee quote I'm trying to do something akin to Dungeons and Dragons to help redefine fantasy for the 90s I'm also looking to make a long commitment to this book with 20 issues minimum of course when it's finally being published Faraday's Law becomes something called Divine Right it is heavily hyped by Wizard but it gets a mixed reception from readers doesn't last long. Uh, now, during our Jim Lee tribute, Divine Rights number one fan Christopher joined us, showing off an original sketch of the heroine of that story that was given to him by Jim Lee. So you can go to YouTube, check out our video version of the Jim Lee tribute episode. But just, you know, this is a big deal because Jim Lee drew like the most, the highest selling comic book ever, X-Men number one, and then he left Marvel 
started his own company, started drawing comics for a little while, then just brought in all this new talent and had them draw the comics for him and he was the businessman. So this is a big deal for, he's going to be on it for 20 issues? No way! You know, like that's, a, everybody just wanted Jim Lee art. Don't create a concept and hand it off to somebody else, but that's what like all these guys at Image Comics did. And so people were like, nah, come back and draw it. Then I'll buy it. Uh, now the only Todd McFarlane news this issue is a giant photo of the new Kiss action figures being released through McFarlane Toys. It's mentioned that there's also a Kiss animated series in the works, but sadly, as a longtime Kiss fan, I can tell you, this never happens. Uh, I was, however, playing with these figures over the weekend with our kids while watching a Kiss concert on DVD, and they got a kick out of them. They had a fun time. My youngest, I gave him some Lego Kiss figures given to me by uh, Mickey from the Retro Network. Thank you, Mickey. And he has claimed them for his own. We built a stage and they just have adventures. So I'm curious though, dear, the name Todd McFarlane, does it ring a bell for you at all? Okay. Do you remember where we used to live in Phoenix? There was a big shopping center across the street from our first apartment. I do remember that. And there is a big movie theater. Correct. Literally right next door to the movie theater was a McFarlane store because he drew comics. He drew the, the highest selling Spider-Man comic ever. And then he created this character Spawn, who's a very big deal, at least in the comic book He's world. A big deal. He's big so, deal. It was like one of the highest selling independent comics ever. But then he got into taking that success, taking that money, and then he started creating action figures and he revolutionized the action figure industry, just the sculpting, the size, just the production. And then he was making so much money off of that. He was at heart, like comics were like, yes, I like comics, but really he loves sports. And so- Oh, that sports store. Yeah, That's what you're talking now about? you remember it, yeah. Well, I remember the sports store. I don't remember there being- other stuff in there. He had baseballs in the window. Exactly. I and remember. The baseballs he got were, do you remember when there was that big home run competition between Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire? Of course. And then... And a corked bat and steroids and... Yep. Yeah. So he bought that ball from like the one that, you know, was the winning home run. And then he took, he had a touring museum of sports memorabilia. He has Madonna's corset that she wore in a league of their own. Oh. It's so weird. It's like... Did we see her in that course? I guess we did, but it's related to sports, so he bought it. Like, I think he had one of the, the Rockford Peach uniforms, too, if I remember correctly. But anyway, so that was just another big thing he did. But to this day, he still, like, produces these high-end action figures, and he's just everybody's favorite action figure guy, and they just wait for him to do comics, and it's like, ah, every once in a while he draws something. But I have to ask this now. We're at the end of the show. What is more easy for you to comprehend, my KISS fandom or my comic book fandom? Well, let me answer that by asking you a question. Yes. What percentage of the stuff in your crap cave is comic books versus what percent is KISS uh, versus <laughs> what is what I will call other other. Well, 50% is comic book. I don't know that I believe that. 50% is other. There is no kiss in my room currently. I have a gigantic bin in the closet of my office full of kiss memorabilia, but I just, I can't, I don't have a place to display it properly. I've, I'm out of room. I need a kiss wing of the house. And then... <laughs> So it could be there. But I'm just saying in general, like understanding, like he loves to read comics or he loves to listen to Kiss music. Like, which would you participate in more readily? Um, I do enjoy 
Kiss music. Yep. I understand musical obsession maybe more so. Yeah. I understand the concept of people liking comics. I'm not one of those people. But we've discussed possibly a change in mindset where you could view it, right, as a printed version of a TV or a movie with subtitles. Well, I'm going to need some Audible because I don't, <laughs> I don't read things anymore. We have it right here. Uh, I actually have... Oh, no. Marvel Superhero Secret War Graphic Audio Edition. How many discs is this? Seven hours on six CDs. Perfect for your ride to work. Oh, boy. <laughs> so that's our gift to you. A parting gift. But before we leave this segment, uh, we have to... Get into our tally. I don't know if you're aware of this, dear, but you know we're on issue 71 of Wizard. Every issue, we have been taking a tally of how many times Jim Lee's name is mentioned, mm -hmm. how many times Todd McFarlane's name is mentioned. Not Liefeld. Liefeld was the original. It was Rob and Todd's hype machine. But after the incident. The incident. He was wiped from continuity. And retroactively, <laughs> I went back and checked every issue of Wizard Magazine to see how many times Jim Lee had been mentioned. Can you believe it, dear listeners? <laughs> He has obliterated Liefeld from the count. That is correct. So let's get into it. This issue, Jim Lee was mentioned six times. Todd McFarlane was mentioned three times, which brings our running total to Jim Lee, 420 mentions. Todd McFarlane, 410. So Jim is only gaining in this. Now, just so you know, dear, Todd McFarlane was the front runner for many years. And then... The less and less he was drawing comics, he gets mentioned less and less. So then Jim Lee got back into drawing comics. And so it's like, oh, here he is. So yeah, so we're going to see who wins out in the long run after 200 plus issues. I see. So um, are these gentlemen alive still? They are very alive. Are they aware of this count <laughs> happening on this very popular wizard podcast? Uh, not yet, but I'm sure if we ever meet them, uh, we'll, we'll say, hey, be, congratulations. By the way. We're going to award them a plaque. <laughs> this is how yeah, many times you were mentioned in Wizard Magazine. Yes. We do have people that have something of a connection to both of them. So we might be able to make that happen. Uh, anyway. Anyway, as we close out here, dear, we always like to leave with a laugh. So it's time that we check out Turok's Top 10. So Wizard really enjoyed their jokes. Many people have referred to their jokes as juvenile. I haven't given you very many examples of that in this issue, but that is kind of the main criticism lobbed at the magazine from comic book fans and people looking back. They're like, oh, you know, it was all jokes about boobs and bodily functions and whatever else, you know. So they were playing to their audience? Exactly. So they were, you know, 13 to 21 year old guys. You know, that's, that's the audience for Wizard Magazine. And that now, 40-year-old guys. <laughs> Fantastic. That's the thing. That was a very small part of the magazine, but it's what everybody remembers that set them apart. But they did a lot of great stuff. That's the point of the podcast. We're trying to set the record straight. Here's what was really in the magazine. But they always did these top 10 lists, and most of them have not aged well. 
and we have something called damage control that we we have to run the damage control siren when it's something that uh, yeah <laughs> is no longer acceptable but here we have a wizard top 10 list why don't you give us our title here wizard top 10 top 10 best things that came out of heroes reborn number 10 nothing the same is true for numbers nine through one <laughs> zing it is blank that is a hundred percent based on their liefeld hate okay <laughs> so that is their way of saying rob liefeld you contributed nothing to the comics landscape yeah because they love Jim Lee, but they also said, Jim, your books were kind of boring. You didn't do anything super revolutionary or new. And Rob, you did what you do, which we don't like. And so there's nothing good about Heroes Reborn as far as Wizard is concerned. It is a blank top 10 list, which you got to love it. <laughs> And it worked. You're getting a laugh. So, all right. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining me for this discussion. Was it as painful as you thought it would be? Well, let me tell you this. I believe my arms are breaking out from these really, really old comic books. And um, I think I'm going to have an asthma attack from all the dust in here. So <laughs> Asthma and an old paper allergy. She was risking her life to bring you entertainment. Now, the last thing we have to do here, we've had a discussion. We brought you closer to the world of comic books. Terry Moore, who was showing us how to draw realistic women into comics, wrote one of my favorite series ever called Echo. Our daughter, I suggested her name based on a character in this book. Goodness. Will you read this comic? at least to determine what you think about this character. Now, there is a much larger volume. This is the first volume. I have the full collection, but it's black and white. It shouldn't be too distracting. I think you can manage I think manage you don't this. understand what I'm talking about <laughs> when I say. I know. Yeah, sensory overload for you. I get yes. it. But I think... This... I don't think you do. <laughs> but th that's what I'm saying. There's not, no colors in here. Echo is a fantastic series. Okay. And then you can read my favorite book, which is Dostoyevsky's crime and punishment and then we can discuss yes well I'll, I'll definitely check out the audiobook version all right well i'm glad that we have come together on this we're sharing literature the great literature of our times literature. oh look at this oh. derisive i'm telling you the <laughs> sandman i'm sure was on the top 10 bestsellers list at some point at least of graphic novels anyway again thank you so much for joining us would you like to point anybody anywhere where are you going to be in the next 10 minutes <laughs> you don't have a social what, me? media presence yes you all our Where guests am I gonna be? yeah what do you what do you want to promote to oh. <laughs> what would you Maybe like to i promote? don't know what you're talking about also that yeah what are, what are you going to be doing in the next 10 minutes <laughs> also going to bed i'll catch you there this is what you do on a podcast you don't listen to podcasts i don't but you give the guest a chance to promote anything that's going on any oh. causes anything that they are working on a project they want people to check out so oh. any movies you want to recommend any television shows no but i will say support your local arts i sing with a local symphony and it's important. We need the arts in all their forms, whether it be illustrations, whether it be music, whether it be performance and excitement, whether it be podcasts. Yes, a legitimate art form if ever there was one. So we want to thank you so much for joining us for this episode. And of course, you can find us on our social media. Hey, where are we? We're at Wizards Comics on Twitter, at Wizards underscore comics on Instagram. Are you checking out the YouTube channel? We have our top 10 series going on right now, as well as our 
new and improved hall. Ooh, we got a lot of stuff coming in. Dr. Kristen sees my packages arrive on the front door. She never looks inside, but we show it to you so that you can get a little touch of nostalgia. Also, the Patreon. We can officially announce that we have launched our new tier, Heroes in Motion. Yes, named after a segment on this very podcast, where in addition to all the perks of getting, hey, a scanned issue of the magazine, getting an episode early, up to two weeks early. As soon as we record it, we send it uncut to our patrons and they love it. Uncut? That's right. That makes me a little nervous there, Adam. (laughs) Everything you said goes to the patrons. It's very exciting. But also, we get a chance now with the Heroes in Motion tier to give you a brand new podcast. Yes, a separate podcast, 90s Super Cinema, where we are a couple of people who love movies, myself, Michael, and his co-host on the Box Office 30 podcast, Pete. (laughs) Are you just announcing a new podcast just like willy-nilly like that? Well, on our calendar at home, dear, it falls under Wizards. (laughs) This is an... This is an offshoot of Wizards. (laughs) But we started out with Batman Forever. It was a very fun conversation. I will tell you, one of us loved it. One of us hated it. And one of us was on either side of it. Very Two-Face-like. So uh, you can check that out. And our next one has already been voted on by our patrons. And we are going to be talking about Billy Zane in The Phantom. Oh, yes. You want to slam evil? Well, you want to join our Patreon. That's seven bucks a month. So many perks. Or if you just want the basic package, our regular $5 tier it's just patreon.com forward slash wizards comics you're supporting the podcast even if you don't need all the goodies we're so thankful for all of our patrons and speaking of which it's time to give them a shout out yes our patrons always deserve the spotlight mark mcdonald you are number one we gotta ask you was it more annoying growing up hearing people call you marky mark or do they make a lot of french fry jokes as it related to ronald mcdonald and everything else let us know and then we got mickey and jason over at the retro network we're just gonna put it in here shameless plug go to the retronetwork.com it's our home but the home of so many more retro enthusiasts that share their memories and do awesome research back into the old days steven forshaw steven for life that's right we love having you here on the patreon lee markowitz you know i gotta wonder lee are you marking out are you like a total wrestling fan you gotta tell us uh, how about mitchell hall meanwhile at the mitchell hall of justice uh, dead of jedi there's always a big fish. Yeah, has that been your life experience? Of course, Gabe Bustamantes. Gabe loves 90s comics. Oh man, every time we mention profit, we hear from Gabe. He loves them bulging muscles. He loves them guns. How about Mark Quill? Who is your favorite Quill in pop culture? Is it Peter Quill? Is it, you know... Have gun quill travel? Okay, yeah. (laughs) Next up, Steve King, the most regal and royal of our patrons. Yes, indeed. Thanks for being part of the crew. Joe Marcello from the Dollar Bin Bandits podcast. If you're not listening to their interviews with classic comic book creators, you are missing out. Get on over there. How about Brian Acosta? Brian, I don't want to accost you. I just want to have you over on Patreon and entertain you. And finally, he's a killer. He's a belt face killer does anybody know that song killer 
off the creatures of the night album by kiss of course you don't but we did talk a lot about kiss in this episode all right that does it for our patreon shout outs but there's always room for more before we go i have to tell you in addition to the mini episode we have a bonus yes another bonus episode because wizard had so many offshoot magazines one of them was sci-fi invasion trying to capitalize on the popularity of sci-fi in the late 90s we have the editor of that magazine the mastermind behind it all doug goldstein will be joining us to give us all the behind the scenes details on that we're going to go through the five issues of the magazine that were published and share some of the highlights so you'll want to be back for that one if you're not subscribed get subscribed now on your favorite podcatcher thank you again for joining us and until next time keep your books bagged and boarded This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.